Amen. We'll remain standing for the reading of God's word as we continue to look through the gospel of John at the I am statements that Jesus makes of himself. Here we find ourselves in John 11 this morning. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened his eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are so thankful for your word and the power that comes through it. Thank you for this testimony of Jesus as the resurrection and the life. As he brings forward this idea of resurrection, we pray that you would help us to see the truth that you would have for us through this passage. Be at work through your servant, Andrew, as he has prepared and looked and, and dived into your word today. 
that you would continue to unravel this truth that you, Jesus, are the resurrection and the life. Be with us today. Help us to consider who you are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is great to be together this morning, uh, kind of a two-part series in some sense. Last week, we started in, in John chapter 11. We looked at the first 16 verses of, of John chapter 11, and what we focused on last week was just the presence of evil, you know, for, uh, for Jesus to lose this friend and uh, just how we face all of the, you know, the vagaries, it's a weird word, but we, we face all of the difficulties of life uh, as we go through it. I was reminded of this, or I was actually reminded of something I listened to a while ago. One of the podcasts that I like to listen to is called Undeceptions uh, with John Dixon. He's an Australian, uh, and he is an apologist. And a couple of years ago, he had on, uh, as a guest, a good friend of his, uh, also an Aussie guy by the name of Ben Shaw. And the reason why he had Ben on was because Ben had been undergoing a cancer journey. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Ben, who was a musician, who was a pastor as well, kind of an active uh, apologist living in London at the time, began to experience some tingling on the left side of his face, uh, was diagnosed with an enormous uh, tumor, uh, had to have it removed surgically. Uh, now his, his jaw is half gone and his eye droops permanently. To listen to him talk, you can tell it's, it's just a, uh, it's a labor. And uh, the reason why he had him back on again most recently is because uh, just a little bit ago the tumor came back. Or, or another tumor grew also on the left side of his face. And so now uh, Ben, at the age of 53, is facing you know, treatment, chemo, and, and most probably the end of life much sooner than he ever would have wanted. And, and so John was asking him, like, what, you know, as you've walked this journey, like, how are you, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? Are you afraid of death? And here's what Ben said. He said, I'm not afraid of the other side of death, but I am afraid of this side of death. I'm afraid of getting worse, being full of pain, maybe going deaf in my left ear, blind in my left eye. I'm worried a little about that. The tumor is growing near my skull, so I, I don't know what that is going to do to my brain. I was scared when I first heard it. And I still am. I, there's an honesty there that all of us, I think, have to grapple with in a world of cancer, in a world where friends die, in a world where, as one writer says, we're all hanging by a thread. When the curtain is pulled back, everyone is more anxious, more afraid, more weighed down than they let on. Even the billionaire entrepreneur, the couple, uh, the young couple in love, they're all in pain. The chief reason that we believe that the family across the street or the family across the aisle from us this morning uh, is so functional is that we don't know them very well. On Good Friday, we remember 
that the world is only as sick as our own hearts. And the reality is, in a coronavirus world, all of those tests for sickness in our heart have come back positive. We, we're all weighed down by the brokenness of the world. And that is why on Easter, uh, we rejoice to hear Jesus say to Martha in the midst of this situation where there is grief, where there is pain, in the midst of the situation where the enemy seems to be winning, we rejoice to hear Jesus say to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he live, shall never die. Do you believe this? And that's really the question that comes to each of us this morning because we know we're all hanging by a thread. We, we know that, that life and death, brokenness, all of these things, they, they press in on us. We, we feel that. We don't need anybody to tell us that. And if we've forgotten it, we'll remember it again soon. We'll remember it as our relationships uh, face strain. We'll remember it when we get that diagnosis. We'll remember it as we come closer and closer to the final lap of our life's journey. We'll remember. We may not be scared of what's on the other side, but walking with the stuff on this side, it's, it is pretty scary. So Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's who he's declared himself to be. That's who he is declared to be when he came out of that tomb on Easter morning. The question that he gives to Martha is, do you believe this? And the question that he, by extension, gives to all of us is the same. Do you believe that I am who I say that I am? Have you staked your life on it? Is it making a difference, not only for what you think about is coming in the future, but for living your life in the here and now? So what I want to do this morning is I just want to walk through this text and say, what, would, what difference would it make if we really believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. What, what do we grasp about that? How do we uh, hold on to it? How does it get applied to our life? And I have five observations for you from the text. I found five E's that worked all together. So the first one is this. Uh, when, when we reckon with Jesus as the, the resurrection and the life, Jesus engages our intellect. We really see this as he engages with Mary and Martha. It's interesting, maybe you picked up on this, uh, maybe not. Both Mary and Martha uh, make the same statement when they see Jesus. Uh, when, Mary, uh, when Martha came to Jesus, verse 21, she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the same thing uh, to her or to him as well in verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus responds to the same question from these two different women differently. Uh, he gives them very much what they need. And it seems that for Martha, he really engages her at the level of her intellect. He engages her uh, with how does she view the world? What are you believing about the world at, at a head level? Why do I say that? 
Well, look at uh, what is in Martha's statement here. Uh, the first couple of times, uh, she says, I know, I, I know. You know, she makes a statement, if you had been here, uh, my brother would not have died. And then she says, uh, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Martha says, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha has the answers. Martha, Martha knows her Torah. Martha has been in, in uh, Torah class growing up, and she has the answers. And she's coming to Jesus, and she's uh, asserting all of the things that she knows. But Jesus wants to stop her, and uh, he wants her to look at him afresh, and she, he wants her to understand that it's not just this resurrection at the last day, but I am, Jesus says, I personally am the resurrection and the life. I'm not just talking about something out there. I'm not just talking about an idea. I'm talking about something that if you really see, believe, if you really understand intellectually, it will broaden what you know and it will take root in your heart. It's interesting. Martha says, I know, I know. But then she, when she responds to him, when he says, do you believe this? She says, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. One of the great uh, affirmations of the Scripture right up there with Peter, you know, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life right up there with Thomas, uh, my Lord and my God. We have Martha saying, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. But I love the fact that, that Jesus meets her at this level where she needs to be met. He engages her, her intellect. He engages her worldview. And some of you are here this morning needing to be engaged at that level. You, you maybe, like Martha, have all the answers. You, you've been to Sunday school. You, you can recite back. Uh, Jesus can say, your brother will rise. I, I know he'll rise again at the last day. I mean, you, you've got all the answers uh, for God. But he wants you to look at him, and, and he wants to expand your mind on the possibilities. He wants, to, uh, he wants to really engage you at this level. I, I, I love the fact, and some of you know the ministry of Francis Schaeffer, very influential theologian, pastor, even for this church uh, at the very beginning stages of Christ Church, the, the thought, the writings of, of, of Dr. Schaefer back in the, the 60s uh, were, were things that were engaging folks that started this church. But one of the things that Schaefer says is he says that faith is absolutely necessary for the Christian life. But, he says, and I think this is the point here, it, it's not a leap into the dark, as many of the existentialist philosophers would want you to believe. You don't have to suspend reason in order to believe the gospel. Uh, there is an intellectual solidity uh, to the things that we are asked to believe. God can meet us 
You didn't, in, other ways, you, in other words, you don't have to like lose your mind in order to be a Christian. God meets us uh, in the places where our head engages. We, we look at that with these resurrection accounts and even how they're written by the gospel writers, Paul. You know, the gospels were all written within a generation or two of Jesus' death. What that means is that People that were reading them, the names that were listed, all of these things, many of these people were still alive. And so you could go and you could talk, for instance, to Lazarus and you could say, were you really dead? <laughs> Did you really rise again? And Lazarus would say, yeah, I, I was dead, dead. And, and, and I was alive again. And, you know, if those things were false, if they were fables, they wouldn't have that kind of detail in them. I've always been intrigued by how Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he says, you know, uh, he's talking about the resurrection. Jesus appeared first to Cephas, and then, or Peter, and then the other 12. And then he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom who are alive today, but some have fallen asleep. And the effect of that is, like if you're reading Paul's letter to, to the Corinthians, you can go and say, all right, you, you were part of that 500. Did you really see a resurrected Jesus? Uh, if this was a fable, again, it would easily be discredited. But there is an intellectual credibility uh, to the resurrection. There is an intellectual credibility to how Jesus engages us, and we see it in how he engages Mar Martha. It's really highlighted with how he, uh, or I mean contrasted with, um, with how he engages Mary, because Mary, it's very different. You know, Martha, we read and see, I know, I know, you know, all of that. If you look at the next paragraph, uh, verses, whatever it is next, uh, verses 28 uh, to 37, uh, the, the operative word there is weeping, weeping, consoling. Uh, and as much as Jesus engaged the intellect or the worldview uh, of Martha, he embraces the pain of Mary. Martha is the one who goes out. She's got it together. She's going to go meet Jesus. Mary is still wrecked back in the house. Uh, there are mourners with her, weeping, consoling her. Uh, when, when Jesus meets her, she is weeping. They go to the tomb. They're all weeping. Jesus then weeps in, uh, in response to that. This is the picture, not somebody who is struggling so much intellectually, but somebody who is struggling emotionally. And, and some of you here this morning are at that level with regards to your own experience of God. You've lost loved ones. You've lost loved ones in difficult ways. And you're asking the question, why? Why, God? Why did this happen? Why did, you know, my brother or my sister die? Why did I have this diagnosis at such a young age? Why do people kill each other? Why is there hate in this world? Why uh, is nature struggling with blight and pollution and all of these different things? I mean, we're asking those deep existential questions at the core of our being. 
And I don't have the answer to all these uh, questions. I, I, you know, the Bible doesn't give us the answer to all these questions. We're told certain things uh, that may seem like platitudes in the moment. Uh, you know, we're told that, uh, you know, the deep things of God belong to God. Uh, and, and that we are to trust Him even when we don't know the answers why. We're told uh, that all things work together for good for those who are the loved of God, the called according to His purpose. But again, those are, are not so much answers in the moment. I mean, they, they don't really engage us at that deep emotional level. But what we see here with Jesus is that Mary, who is feeling the pain, she's feeling the pathos of this moment. Jesus doesn't say, your brother will rise again. Jesus says, let's go there to the tomb, the place where he is. And Jesus wept. This is one of the things I love about the gospel story, is that we have such a high priest in our Savior Jesus, that, that He knows exactly how to meet us. For Martha, He knew what to give her, but for Mary, Jesus wept. Jesus went to that place of pain with her, and He sat there, and He grieved. Again, the, the, the Bible doesn't give us the answers uh, to all of our why questions, but what it gives us is a Savior who goes to the cross. What it gives us is a Savior who enters death along with us, who weeps alongside of us. It gives us a Savior, as Hebrews say, who is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses because He was incarnate and He enters in. I don't know where some of you are. I'm sure that some of you are at that point this morning. And Easter maybe doesn't answer all of your questions in the here and now, but when we come to Jesus as the resurrection and the life, we understand that He loves us, and we understand that He is willing to go to that place of deep emotional pain, and He weeps. He weeps for us. He weeps with us. And he weeps, this is thirdly, uh, because he hates the enemy of death. Uh, the third thing that I just want to highlight for you this morning is that Jesus extinguishes, or I probably like the word exterminates, uh, the enemy. Uh, at, we see it in this passage. How do we see it? We've got to do a little work here. Verse 33, I think it's verse 33. Uh, when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Uh, then verse 38, we see a repeat of that. Then de Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Twice we're told that Jesus is deeply moved. Now, on the one hand, there is a, a real pain 
Jesus' part. He loved Lazarus. We're reminded of that here in this text. We were told that at least twice last week as we looked at uh, the first 16 verses. Uh, There is an emotional pain, but there's something more than that. It's not less than an emotional pain, but it's more than an emotional pain. Jesus is genuinely angry at the presence of death in the world that he had created perfect. When Jesus sees uh, the extent of the damage that death has wrecked into this world, he becomes angry. Why do I say this? Well, the word that is translated deeply moved there uh, has to do with this, um, uh, with not simply being an emotional pain. B.B. Warfield puts it this way. Let me just go ahead and quote him. Uh, West, or he was a Princeton theologian, turn of the 20th century, wrote a great book on the emotional life of Jesus. He says, what John tells us in point of fact uh, is not simply that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger. Uh, that is the meaning of this term. It's often used uh, to describe the, uh, the braying of a war horse before it engages the heat of battle. You know, there is this sense of going forward to meet an enemy. And that is what Jesus sees. As he comes to the tomb of Lazarus, he sees an enemy that is broken into this world. He sees an enemy that is leaving uh, a wake of destruction, and Jesus knows that it is going to take his own going to the cross in order to defeat that enemy. And this is what Paul reminds us of, right? When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he puts to rout all his and our enemies. He disarms them, and he, he vanquishes the enemy. This is what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your, str- your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the knight on the white horse. Jesus is the one who comes to do battle with death. Jesus is the one who exterminates all his and our foes. When we meet Jesus, the resurrection and the life, we meet one to whom we can give our allegiance because he is the great, great captain. Uh, We're reminded of that. Fourth, I want to highlight for you just the mode in which Jesus goes about this. Uh, As we read this passage, uh, we're struck by Jesus' engagement with his father. He comes to the tomb. He says, take away the stone. Uh, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. I I like the King James translation. Lord, by this time he stinketh. Uh, It's very descriptive. He is dead, dead. This is no resuscitation. Uh, This is a body that has been, uh, started the decaying process, Uh, and to to open the grave, to open the stone uh, would be bad. But Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then verse 41, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, uh, 
I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. How does Jesus execute uh, his ministry as the resurrection and the life? He executes it through word and prayer. And this is always the way that Jesus has worked. This is the way God works. God obviously works taking counsel within himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Deep theology here, when we come to the Trinity, we think about the counsels of peace. God is always taking counsel within himself. Let us create man in our own image, the image of God. They are, he created them. Uh, the, the Trinity, here we see Jesus playing out that relationship of the Father and the Son. There's an intimacy in their, their life and their communion. Over the course of Jesus' life, he was always praying. He was always praying to his Father. We're told that he didn't do anything except what he saw his Father doing. He was always uh, going out early. Here he is setting an example of prayer. He's like, Lord, I know that you always hear me, but I'm doing this for the sake of those around me. Prayer, that intimacy with the Father is the way that we go forward in the resurrection life. And then it's the Word. The word that's associated with God way back in creation. How is it that, that God creates the world? It's by the word of his power. How is it that uh, Jesus comes into the world? He comes into the word world <coughs> as the word spoken by the Father, John 1, Hebrews 1. Uh, this is the, the method by which Jesus is always operating in the face of death. He operates by his word and through prayer. And this is something for us to really grasp a hold of as we grapple with Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Like we aren't to be any different than Jesus. Like if if we really want to believe, if we really want to experience that resurrection power, we can't expect that we're going to gain it in any other way other than the word and prayer. Uh, This is part of our life. This is what we are to, uh, this is what we are to cherish. This is what we are to nurture and to foster in our lives, lives that are marked by the word and and, and by prayer. Do you believe this? Is this something that that you you cherish in your life? Again, over and over again, I'm concerned uh, as a pastor by our love for the word. Do we cherish it? Do we believe that the Word has power in our time here and now? Are we sinking our teeth into it? Are we getting all that we're living by the Word? Are we abiding in prayer? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. Surely part of that abiding is this type of communion that we see between the Son and the Son and the Father. Jesus executes his ministry as the resurrection and the life through the word and through prayer. Finally, uh, I want you to note that all that was lost, 
all that was broken is indeed enlivened. Do you see that here? This is uh, such an, uh, an awesome verse to let your mind run with. Then the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips, face wrapped with the cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine if you were there? I mean, just put yourself in this scene. Like, where are you looking right now? Are you looking at Lazarus, the, the guy who had either shuffled or hopped his way uh, out of the tomb? I mean, feet bound, what was he going to do? Are you looking at Lazarus? Are you looking at Jesus? Uh, you know, are you falling down before him? Are you looking at Mary, Martha, the weeping, the knowing? Where are you looking right now? Imagine that you're on the unbinding team. You know, you walk up to him and, and you look into his face and, and you see his eyes and you smell his breath. And I mean, that's a very real situation. You start to unwrap him like this is incredible. But that is the gospel. The gospel tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And Jesus has entered into our world with a voice that says, our name, personally, Lazarus, Andrew, David, Sandra, come out, come out, and then says, unbind her, unbind him, and let them return to life. This is the glorious news of the gospel of the resurrection, is that we who were dead, have been made alive again together uh, with Christ the firstfruits. We now are made alive and we can live. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. The only attitude of our hearts was only evil all the time. But now set free in Christ, you know, we, you know, we can live again lives that bring praise and glory to Him. We are set free from the tyranny of sin. Yes, we always struggle with it. We confess it. We say to God, I, I know that I am not the person that you have made me to be as of yet, but I am yearning for that time because you have set me free in Christ Jesus. We are truly, truly unbound. We are truly, truly set free. And this is part of what Jesus wants us to recognize, that when we're talking about the resurrection and the life, we are talking about not something that is simply future, but is also present. One writer puts it this way, uh, the linking of the resurrection and the life perhaps points to the truth that the life that he brings is the life of the age to come. It is the eternal life of which he speaks elsewhere. The man who believes on Jesus will live even though he dies. The paradox brings out the great truth that physical death is not the most important thing about our lives. Jesus is bringing Martha a present power, not simply the promise of a future good. This is the good news that we have here. Resurrection isn't just a doctrine. It isn't just a future fact. It is a person. 
And he is standing right here in front of Martha, in front of Mary, in front of you, and in front of me. And he's saying, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because the reality is we are all hanging by a thread. There is nobody that escapes death. There is nobody that escapes the difficulties of the world. We are all hanging by a thread. Do you believe this? Ben, in that same interview, was asked by his friend John, did you ever reconsider Christianity, the course of your cancer journey? He said, yeah, I, I did. I, I had to reconsider Christianity. Do I, do I really believe this? I can confidently say, yes, I do. Even more so. I honestly believe it is true. It is real. I have total confidence in what will happen to me after I die and what will happen to all Christians. I am deeply even more confident about these things. Brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are, Martha, Mary, the crowd, Lazarus. I don't know where you are in this story but there are really only two responses. We see this in 45 and 46. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done, an act that led to his death. There are only two responses. Indifference is not a response. Well, it is a response, <laughs> but it's a negative response. Uh, you either believe and submit you surrender, you, you find your life in Christ, or, or, well, we don't want to think about that. One writer puts it this way, we'll close with this, if there's anything in life that we should be passionate about, it's this, it's this resurrection gospel. And I don't mean passionate about simply sort of sharing it with other people. I mean passionate about thinking about it, dwelling in it, rejoicing in it, allowing it to color the way that we look at the world. Only one thing can be of supreme importance to any of us, and only the gospel, the resurrection gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, only that should have the place of supreme importance in our hearts. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage that walks us through your life as the, uh, as the resurrection and the life. On Easter morning, Lord, uh, as the, the sun is shining, uh, we can believe these things. But Lord, we pray that what we see here on the mountaintop will follow us into the valley. What we've known in the light, we would remember in the dark. Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts, and I particularly pray for any here that are unsure of their relationship with Jesus. I pray that this would be a day where the distant uh, rumble of the thunder of Easter morning would awaken in their hearts uh, a hunger and a thirst for that knowledge. And Father, I pray too for, for those that are discouraged here this morning, that maybe have, have tried to believe, but it just, they feel like it hasn't taken. Father, I pray.
pray that you would encourage them, that you would re-engage their hearts, all of our hearts. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.